right. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. Guys, it is great to, to see you today. Even for those of you I can't see, you're on the live stream. It's great to be together virtually if you're new. Guys, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, really excited about today, okay? But before that, guys, 18 more bags. That is awesome. Guys, Doxa, that is huge. Give yourself a round of applause. Thanks for being generous. Guys, we're able to... This is part of the thing is like, you know, like we, we talk about this idea of like Jesus is a generous giver and it says the right thing about the Christian life when we live with our hands open like Jesus and, and give to help those in need. And it's just awesome to be part of a church that is doing that, that we don't just talk about it, but we, we live it out. And so Doxa, I love you. I respect you. This is a, a great day and, and I'm proud of our church, guys. But go ahead, grab your Bible, open up to Matt, or Matt, not Matthew, Micah chapter six, all right? Here's where we're at today. We're in the final week of this teaching series that we have titled, And the Good of, of Madison. And throughout this series, for the last couple weeks, we were really just kind of leaning in and, and asking the question, like, what does it mean for our church family not to just exist, but to exist for the glory of God and the good of Madison? Right, that we're, we're really just essentially asking the question, how is it that God has created us to live as his people, as his church in our great city? And honestly, guys, as we talk about this, like there are so many different opinions on how you would answer that question, right? I mean, you, you look around our city, you look around our, our culture, there are so many different people with so many different voices, so many different opinions, so many different books and blogs and politicians that really all seek to answer that question for us. But we as the people of God, as the family of God, as, as Christians, while we can hear all that the culture around us is saying in this present moment, what we ultimately do is we seek to hear from the voice that is above every other voice, that being God's. All right, this is what we do. It was the renowned theologian Karl Barth who, who famously once said that, that Christians should live their life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And this is ultimately what we try and do, and this is what we should be doing as, as Christians, that we, we seek to hear from God through his words to us in the Bible, which then helps us to understand the world that we live in, to help us understand like these cultural moments and just like the reality in which we live, and to understand who God is, who he's made us to be, and how he created us and desires us to live as his people, as his representatives here in the place that he has us, which happens to be Madison, Wisconsin. And as we get into this today, okay, I want to begin with two preliminary things. And the first is this, because this, this language that we have used and we continue to use being for the good of Madison, okay, this isn't just something that, that we thought up, that we kind of thought, you know, this would be really sticky, people are going to resonate with this, and, and so we're going to use this. But I want you to hear, this is really a posture that is rooted in Scripture, all right, like for example, okay, Leviticus 19.18, here's what God says to his people. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. All right, this is God speaking to his people. This is God speaking to us. This is a command of God, and he is saying, love the people around you. And even Jesus, as he stepped onto the stage of human history and began to teach the truths of the kingdom of God, in Mark chapter 12, after he's asked, like, what's the most important thing in life? Here's what Jesus says. Listen to this. 
Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay, so Jesus is even referencing back to the Old Testament and the basis of this statement that we say all the time is this idea for the glory of God and the good of Madison. But if you're, if you're newer to Doxa, you, you just need to know us, know this about our, our church family is that we're a people, broken, sinful, not great, but seeking after God and we hear from God in his word and we take the word of God seriously. And so when we hear statements like this that's just riddled throughout the Bible, love your neighbor, we look at this and say, okay, how do we do this? How do we live for the good of the world around us? And we're, we're leaning into this. And this was what we've been doing over the last several weeks in this series and we'll continue to do this just because this is who we are. What does this look like? And this is what we're doing today. We're going to wrap up a study of, of the most profound, significant verse in one of them in the entire Bible, Micah 6, verse 8. So open up if you haven't gotten there, and here is what we see in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. He has told you, doxa, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This verse is, is not only one of the more significant verses in the entire Bible, but it really helps us to understand of what does it mean for us to be for the good of Madison. And in this one verse, God basically kind of condensed the spirit of the entire Old Testament law into three simple principles. All right, three ways for his people, for the family of God, for the church, for Christians to live for the good of the world around them. And what does he say? Act justly, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's the first thing. So now the second thing is this. As, as we jump into this, let me mention this. As we've sought like an understanding of, of what it means for, to be for the good of our city, we've, we've taken this verse and we've really just kind of went through it word by word. All right, some people, you might think that's a little excessive. Did you really need to spend three, word, three weeks on like one verse? Yes, because it's, it's that significant. We've talked about doing justice, like what is justice? We've talked about the biblical idea of justice. We, we talked about loving kindness. And today what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the last five words in Micah 6, 8, walk humbly with your God. And we're just gonna look at them. And here's what I'll tell you guys, walking humbly with God it's the thing that makes doing justice and loving kindness actually be really part of our lives. All right, the key to making Micah 6-8 more than just like a cool tattoo that you put on your body or a really nice piece of calligraphy art that you get off Etsy and you hang on your wall is this idea of walking humbly with your God because when we are walking humbly with this mindset, justice and kindness will matter to us. It will actually matter to us, and not only that, but it will flow from us. And so in a culture, right, if you just think about our world right now, I mean, it, it's tense, it's, it's crazy right now, but in a culture where there's so much talk about justice and kindness and goodness and change, Christians have a very distinct way of going about this. 
Okay, we, we don't dig down deep within ourselves and try and like pull something out of us and muster up the compassion and the love that we need to have and, and the discipline. We don't dig down and try and just do it. But instead, we walk humbly with our God. And this is very different. This is a very different approach than we hear from our culture. And because this is such a big deal, we're just gonna take these five words. Walk humbly with your God. And we're gonna take it word by word and look at this because as we understand each word, it's gonna give us a fuller picture and understanding of what Micah, what God is trying to say to us. And I really believe that if we hear this, and it's not just like that we, we hear this and it kind of goes in one, in ear, one ear, out the other, right? we did, but it becomes part of us. Like this will change everything. If this becomes a reality in our life, the saying in Madison as in heaven Guys, this will become a more experienced reality for us and our city. So let's get into this. Walk. Walk humbly with your God. Okay, what does it mean to, to walk with God? And I know that if you've grown up in the church, you've been a Christian for a long time, that you're thinking, okay, this is a super basic idea. Is this as deep as you're going to go? Maybe, okay? But this is so significant. How would you explain this? Sometimes like these most basic things, these wordings that we use all the time, the Sunday school answer of like, Jesus is the answer. Okay, yeah, walk with God. Like, how do you explain this biblically? And actually, I think the key to understanding this is really to understand what happens when we commit our lives to Jesus. All right, the truth of every single person in this room, online, in this world, is that by nature we're separated from God because of our sin. But when we open our hearts to Jesus through faith, he forgives us, he redeems us, he saves us, and he comes to live within us by his spirit. And when this happens, your desires change, your affections change, your, your life begins to change. And it does this to conform to the desires and the affection and the life of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you're in the process of this. You, you know what this is like. You know how your life was just a few years ago and where you're at now. And it doesn't all the time happen instantaneously, but this is the process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus. Your life begins to change. And even if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, I, I love the fact that you're here, but you've seen this in people that you know that have become Christians, right? They, they say yes to Jesus and, and all of a sudden your buddy is like the same buddy, but he's radically different. And you're like, what happened to that guy? This is what, this is what the Christian life is, is about. That as we understand the greatness of the gospel more and more and what Jesus has truly done for us, your relationship with God becomes the most important thing in your life. Guys, this is the Christian life. That you wanna talk with him, you wanna walk with him, you wanna seek him, you wanna please him in all of your ways. This is walking with God. Okay, so think of it like this, okay? If you just think about like what happens when we walk with someone. All right, just imagine that, that you and a spouse or a friend are enjoying a walk down the road, okay? You're in close proximity, you, you talk, you laugh, you listen, you're, you're sharing your hearts, your attention is focused on that person almost to the exclusion of everything around you. You see like the, the beauty around you or distractions, but only just to point it out to the person that you're with, that you're sharing this moment together, you're with each other, you're in harmony and peace and enjoying this great friendship. Guys, walking with God is, is like that. And when we enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, he becomes our heart's greatest desire. Knowing him, 
hearing from him, sharing our hearts with him and seeking to please him become just an all-consuming focus, that he becomes everything to us, that meeting with him is, is not just like an activity and an obligation reserved for Sunday, but we live with fellowship and with him with the, in the everyday stuff of life. All right, the, the pastor theologian A.W. Tozer, he once said that the goal of the Christian life should be to live in a state of unbroken worship. Think about that. To live in a state of unbroken worship. That worshiping God is not just something that we do here in this space. But what Tozer is pointing out, what the Bible shows is that walking with God is an all-consuming, all-encompassing thing. That type of closeness only happens when we're truly walking with God. And this is what God is saying through Micah 6, 8, that walking with him is the only way that justice and kindness will be an overflow of your life and will bring glory to him and good to the world around us. I want you to look at this little obscure sentence, this verse in Amos chapter three. All right, the the prophet Amos says this. Here's how he talks about it. He says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Now you, you see this and you're like, what the heck does that mean? And this is one of those verses that we probably come across and then we skip over it, right? But, because this is significant. All right, and what this means is this, is that walking with God means that you're in agreement with him and his ways. That while no one is perfect, when you're walking with God, your desire should be to see your own selfish desires die for the sake of seeing God transform you more and more into the image of Jesus. This is the goal of the Christian life. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.29 to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so if you're truly walking with God, his heart and his commands become our delight and our desire. Because walking with God is, is, a, is a lifestyle. It's a, it's a choice. It's a pattern of the way that we, we live. And if you know people like this, right? it's not hard to see people and identify people who are walking with God. People who walk with God display the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians chapter five. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kind. You get it, I don't, I just, I lost it, okay? I got some of them, right? But they identify, or they, you see this coming out of their life. People who walk with God, they live in contrast to the ways of the world surrounding them. This is Philippians 2.15. People who walk with God are like Peter and John in Acts 14. Do you remember our study in back in Acts 14 months ago? Peter and John are arrested for sharing the gospel. They get before the authorities. They're, they're asking them questions. And then what does it say in Acts 14? It says that they were, as they were questioning these men, they noticed that these are just common, everyday men. But they were astonished. And they concluded that they had been with Jesus. Because when you consistently walk with God, others will be able to recognize that though you are flawed and imperfect, you've been with Jesus. And they might not have those words to say it like that, but there will be something categorically different about the way that you live and you love in the everyday stuff of your life. The people who walk with God will have faith and obedience as key marks in their lives and what it, Micah 6, 8 is saying will be seen. 
that these types of people that are walking with God will be doing justice, they will be loving kindness, they will be walking in the ways of God for his glory and the good of the world around them. And so Doxa, with that understanding, I have to ask you this. How's your walk with God? And I know this is something that Christians, we, we always ask like these vague questions. You're having your coffee with your girl at the table and like she asks, how's your walk with God? And you know, you, strong to quite strong. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, right? But with this understanding, guys, how is your walk with God? Are his ways your ways? Is he the all-consuming desire of your life? Does your professed faith affect your day-to-day life? Lean into these questions, guys. This is discipleship. Those are the right questions to be asking. This is walking with God. Talk about this with your family. Talk about this with your connection group this week. This is, these are the right questions to ask. So next word, as you walk, how do you do it? Look back, Micah 6, 8. Walk humbly with your God. Okay, so humbly. In, the, in this word humility, right? Humility is a word that just means to, to think or to judge of yourself and with like lowliness. All right, the idea is that, that someone is not to think more significantly or highly of themselves than they should. And it's sometimes said that humility is this thing that if you think you have it, then you probably don't, right? Like, tell me about yourself, man. Well, humility is probably my greatest quality, right? It's like one of those things. But it's, this is big. And we need to understand that humility is the character trait that motivates people to obey and follow God in his ways and his words. That because of what God has, has done for us through Jesus' death and resurrection, healing us of our own sin, we experience that, we receive it, and then we fully invest in the healing of the world around us through mercy and justice. This is the result of true, vibrant, saving faith. I mean, this is James, right? This is where we go back to James. And the truth that Micah and really the whole Bible teaches us is, that, is this, is that we will never have a sustained lifestyle of acting justly or loving kindness if we're not humbly walking with God. Because listen to this, what does pride say? All right, pride says, life is all about me. Life is about me and the people that are around me are simply there to make my life better. It's a very egocentric way of living, much of how our entire world lives, but this is what pride says. The people of Israel that Micah is talking to had become so filled with pride, and as a result, they didn't live according to God's will and God's ways. And the people here in in Micah that we talked about in week one, they're just a picture of arrogance, and because of their pride, they weren't doing justice, they weren't loving kindness, they weren't loving people, and God is warning them of the judgment that is coming to them because of their way of life. And the Bible has so much to say about pride, right? I mean, for example, Psalm 138, Proverbs 3, Matthew 23, James 4, 1 Peter 5, all essentially say the same thing, that God opposes the proud, but what? Give grace to the humble. And this is one of the reasons that we as a church have a core value of weakness. If you've been around Doxa for a while or you went to Doxa 101, you heard about our core values, you've heard us talk about like weakness as one of those, and chances are when you heard that, you're like, that's weird. Like, I thought it was weird that you had a climbing wall, but that's even weirder, like weakness. Like, what is that? And guys, it might be weird, but it's biblical. 
Because the truth is, humility is the most foundational of all Christian virtues. Doxa, I just want you to hear this. No one, no one struts through the narrow gate that leads to the kingdom of God. No one high steps their way down the narrow path. Doxa, we are sheep, not peacocks. Do you understand that? The world is filled with peacocks. Some of you are great, fabulous, wonderful peacocks. You walk into a room and you go, and you light up and you show everybody how great you are. That is pride. Christians are not peacocks. It's not, look how beautiful I am. Christian are sheep, lowly, humble, and say, look how good my shepherd is. Because we're servants, not sovereigns. That if Christ is to fill us, we must empty ourselves. This is Philippians chapter two. That if Jesus, if he must increase, John 3.30, then we must decrease. And so the hard reality is this, is guys, if you don't care, and I'll put myself in this, if we don't care about doing justice and loving kindness, we are likely a very prideful person. And you think the world kind of revolves around you and your well-being. And if you're hearing that and that bothers you, that's, that's like a, driving down the road and your check engine light comes on. You're like, something's wrong, okay? And I hope, I hope that th- if this is you, if you're kind of feeling like, okay, you, I, my wife email you and tell you to put this in the sermon, right? You know, like, what, if this is you, I hope you hear the words from God today, not to feel attacked, not to feel shamed or bad, but to make you feel convicted so that repentance can happen and you can draw close to God, becoming the man and woman that he's created you to be. And so while pride says it's all about me and and sees people as machinery to use them to, to make our life better, humility says this, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is all about people. And so this is what walking humbly means. I mean, this is Mark 12. It's loving God and, and loving people. And I want to show you something that I believe is going to really help us to understand this humility that Micah 6, 8 is talking about. In Philippians chapter 2 that I just referenced a minute ago, we get the ultimate picture of humility as modeled by Jesus. Listen to this. It's going to come up here on the screen. This is what the Apostle Paul says, talking of Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, and I just want you to think of your life. Like, does this mark me? Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, this is the ultimate picture of humility. And I would just encourage you, as you lean into all that we are talking about today and and throughout this series, to spend some time reading and praying through Philippians chapter two this week. Because listen to this, Jesus, 
who had every right to be conceited. Instead, he humbled himself and he emptied himself and he associated with us, the lowly and the needy. That he wasn't consumed with himself, but he was consumed with his love for people and the glory of God the Father. That he didn't do what he wanted to do, but he did what God the Father had for him to do to help those who needed it, us. I mean, without Jesus' humility and without Jesus' sacrifice, guys, this doesn't make sense. We don't have a reason to sing. There's no real joy. There's no hope. And Jesus is not just our Savior, but hear this, Doxa, he's our model, that he shows us what life is all about. And as Christians, we, we follow his words, his works, and his ways. And when we understand this, Micah 6, 8 really gets personal. And it causes us to kind of look at ourselves in the mirror and ask the question, do I see this in my life? This is the question that Micah 6, 8 should be asking, or making us ask, like, is this part of my life? Doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God. And if the answer is yes, I mean, praise God, keep walking with him. And if the answer is no, praise God for him showing us that as a loving father, not for condemnation, but for transformation. And let's lean in and be repentant people and follow God. And as we look at Jesus as our model of humility, not only does he show us what it looks like, but he gives us the power through his spirit, which we receive upon faith, to live an others-oriented life. Which is what Micah 6, 8 is all about, guys, an others-oriented life. Is that you? Is that us? These are the right questions. It's about loving God and loving people, the two greatest commands that Jesus gives us. A humble person thinks about other people. An arrogant, prideful, self-absorbed person thinks only of themselves. And Doxa, the practice of thinking about the needs of others flows from an attitude of humility that we see and we experience in Jesus. And guys, humility is at the heart of every gospel-centered, Jesus-loving person in church, that if it's not there, something's just off. And it should cause us to stop. It's the person with a humble heart that will do justice and love kindness, and the Christian is called to imitate Christ. Micah 6, 8 is only gonna be lived out when our lives are oriented around and redeemed by Jesus. Humble. Third word, walk humbly with your God, with. Now here's, here's what I want you to understand about this. The only way, I really believe this, the only way that justice and mercy will spill out into the world and bring about change for the good of people is if the world is filled with people who are walking with God. Now, not everyone will agree with that statement. In fact, most of Madison would not agree with that statement. Many people will say, okay, I don't know about that, right? But what the world needs to bring about justice and goodness is, is a plan, a good plan, and we need some good people to enact it and lead the way. That it's not about God, it's, it's about the plan. That we need the right social policy, we need the right tax law, we need the right educational system, we need the right plan, and then we are gonna see justice and goodness and all of that pour out into the world. 
Because let me just let me just tell you this. Like, you know, we see politicians arguing about this. We we see like people posting the social media about this, but it's it's not the answer. All right, the plan has never been the problem. All right, this has never been the problem. Never has the main problem been in the history of the world that we don't have the right plan. It's not that people don't know what to do. It's that people don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. There was a woman named Beatrice Webb who was one of the architects of the British welfare state, okay, which really just sought to like improve like education, employment, and just really the overall good of society, and she, like many of the European intellectuals who lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they put together a, a plan for a more just European system of society where there were no like radical inequities between people. And they worked on what we call today the welfare state, and they did a really great job of architecting this. I mean, a really great job. But Beatrice Webb, along with almost all of her colleagues, believed in the overall goodness of humanity. All right, they, they had the thought that if they could just put together the right plan or the right system, the right policies, then the world would change and the world would be more just and peaceful and good. But there's a place in Beatrice Webb's diary in 1925 where she's looking back and when she was a younger woman. All right, so 35 years earlier, after doing much of, of her work on the welfare state, and this is what she says, and I quote, in my diary in 1890, I wrote that I have staked all on the essential goodness of the human nature. Now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in man and how little you can count on changing them by any change in the social machinery. No amount of knowledge or science will be of any avail unless they, we can curb the bad impulse in mankind. All right, listen, listen to this again. No amount of knowledge or science, when it, when it comes to dealing with injustice and bringing goodness to our world, will be of any avail unless we can curb the bad impulses of the human heart. All right, this isn't like a pastor, okay? This is someone who has given her life to dealing with injustice and, and bringing good to the world, and at the end of her efforts, she realizes there's something wrong with people. There's something wrong with people. There's something in the heart of humanity that she never realized, that for much of her life she just thought it was about education and policies and plans, but there's something in the heart that needs fixed. And guys, here's what I'll say. The world doesn't have an answer to this, how to fix the human heart. Politics don't have an answer to the remedy of this. That's why things continue to be so broken and so unjust. Jesus is the only answer and the only enduring hope that we have, and that's why Micah says to walk with God. This is the answer. The answer to the world getting better and fighting for the good of Madison is not by just merely, I mean, it's good, we can fix policies and plans, but it's not merely just doing that. It's through people meeting, being changed by, and walking with God. People are broken. Every single one of us totally, radically impacted and affected by sin. And without Jesus, this is where humanity will stay. Because on our own, every single one of us, we're not with God. That while God is God, and he's an ever-present reality, so is sin. And sin keeps people from being with God. 
and like God. And we will continue to live our lives filled with injustice and selfishness and pride. This is why the world is the way that it is. This is why injustice and terrible things happen, guys. There's not gonna be any lasting goodness in Madison without God. And this is why the last two words of Micah 6, 8 are so crucial. Look back. So crucial to understand. Walk humbly with your God. Your God. And here's what I want you to know as, as I wrap this up, okay? Because nothing is better for you and nothing is better for the world around you than for you to walk humbly with God. I want to explain this to you, okay? As it relates to you personally and your personal goodness, and, and I need to speak like, I want to be like humble and, and loving and just direct and, and speak right to you guys. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're not a Christian, you're tuned in, let me just speak to you as a guy that is not too far removed from that. The hard, truthful reality is this, is that there is no lasting goodness to your life apart from God. Because here's the story of every single one of our lives. It's a level playing field when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Jesus. But the story is this, of your life, that God created you and he loves you. He created you in your, his image. That means that like on your own, apart from what you believe, apart from what you do, apart from how you live, you have just intrinsic dignity, value, worth, and purpose. He loves you. But in the midst of that love, like the first of humanity, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we have all went our own way. That sin has come into the world, it's come into our lives, we are all broken and affected by sin, and as a result, on our own, we exist separated from God. This is what sin does, it separates us, and it separates us from God. And so while we can enjoy God's presence and through the common grace of God right now, like any goodness in our life is a gift, and it's a gift from God. And while we can enjoy his common grace, we just need to know, know that apart from Jesus, there is no saving grace. There's only separation. It's eternal separation. This is just the terrible conscious reality of hell. Eternal separation from God. This is where humanity exists without God, without Jesus. But hear this, the two greatest words in the Bible. But God, but God sent his only son, Jesus, to fix what we cannot fix on our own, our sin issue. And guys, if we're all honest, every single one of us knows that we're broken. We have some evil, vile thoughts and tendencies in our life. And we try to reconcile that. We, we have some thoughts, we have some things that we've done, and we're like, that's not good, I need to outweigh that. I need to get a couple backpacks. 18, okay, I'll give 19, okay? And we try and do good things. And just thinking that, like, you know, if I can just do enough good things, it's gonna outweigh these bad things in my life, and that at the end of the day, like, when, I, when I'm in the, like, those last days, and I'm before God, if he exists, then I'm gonna be okay. And it's not the way it works, because our sin is still there. It's never been mediated, it's never been reconciled, it's never been forgiven. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus came and he lived and he died for us, for you. And through faith, he takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness and he brings you to God. This is the gospel. This is what our church is built on. 
the saving grace of Jesus that every single person needs. And I tell you this, I tell you this like hard truth because I genuinely love and care for you and somebody genuinely loved and cared for me enough to tell me that as I was walking not with God. And my job is simply just to tell you the truth. Your job is to decide what to do with it. And so the question that I would just ask you to consider, if, if you're here and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm like with God. I don't know if I would say he's my God. Do you know God? And not just like know about him, but do you know him? Because he's not your God, as Micah 6, 8 says, until you know him through faith. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. Jesus is doing this high priestly prayer in John 17, and in verse three he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That to know God is to know Jesus, and to know Jesus is to come to him in faith. Guys, this is the only way to experience the complete present joy of salvation and everlasting eternal joy of security. And knowing that will just bring glory to your God and good to you forever. And there's likely somebody that just needs to hear this, but God loves you. That's why you're here Okay, that's why you keep coming back. We're not that great, okay, kind of weird. I mean, trampolines, rock walls, like just, you know, we're not great people, guys, but we have a great God and he is pursuing you. He keeps bringing you back here to meet with you because he loves you and he wants to break in to tell you who he is, who you are, so that you can come to him and find eternal life. And maybe you've been hearing this teaching series and, and you're thinking, man, I, I really love this because, man, I'm all about bringing justice and kindness and goodness to the world. But I want you to know this because you can't give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. Love, justice, mercy, kindness, goodness, all of this comes from God. It starts with God starts with you knowing God, that he sees you and he loves you. And as you experience this love and this mercy and the justice of God, you will be able to live like this and give it away. This is what Micah 6, 8 speaks of. Because before God tells you to do anything, he does everything for you. Think about this, that God loved you in kindness so much that he sent his son to do justice for you. And in supreme humility, he went to the cross to die for you that you might have eternal life and joy forever. So before you can live like God and for God, you need to know God. And I pray that this morning would be the day that you would find your God and he would become your God. So that's the goodness for you. But here's the goodness of God for the world around you. Docs, Micah 6, 8 are words that should mark the life of every single Christian. And so Christian, let me just talk to you. The desire of your God is for you to walk with him and be like him. That God has saved you to use you. And Jesus has empowered you to continue what he started. And because this is true, I just need to ask you, is your life saying the right thing about God? Like is Micah 6, 8 marking you? Get before God, wrestle with those questions and ask him to give you his fatherly heart to like love and care about the world around you just as he loved and cared about you. Because when we walk humbly with God, 
we will lovingly walk alongside people in our city and world doing justice, loving kindness for the glory of God and the good of Madison. So I'll end this series the same way we started, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, he's told us, Doxa, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Father, let this be so. Let's pray. God, help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be like Jesus. God, I I love the fact that before you ask us to do anything for you, you do everything for us. And so would you remind us right now of the gospel of what you've done in our lives, how you've saved us, you've changed us, you've loved us. Holy Spirit, just remind us of that. And God, if there's someone here or online and they're not walking with you and they cannot say that, God, you're my God, God, would this be a time where you could just break in and just help them to see how much you've done for them, Jesus, how much you love them, how much they need you? And would this be the day of salvation where you could just change their life? Help us to be gospel people, people that love you, Jesus. Like we sing that song, Jesus, we love you. We want that to be our anthem. We need that to be our anthem so we're reminded of how good you are. So we can worship you with not just our words but with our lives, just as Micah 6, 8 is talking about. So speak to us. Help us to be your people. Help us to walk faithfully with you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Pray this in Jesus' name.